and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. From the 47th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There, water was flowing from below the entryway of the temple toward the east. And the water was flowing down from below the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, And the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was up to the waist. And he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that couldn't be crossed. He said to me, mortal, have you seen this? Then he led me back along the bank of the river, As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. And when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live And there will be very many fish once these waters reach there. It will become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. People will stand fishing beside the sea from En Gedi to En Eglem. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of a great many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees, trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit ever fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Ezekiel finishes his vision with this line. And the name of the city where the temple is from that time on shall be. The Lord is there. The word of God for the people of God, we say, thanks be to God. Have any of you ever read this passage before? (laughs) Just raise your hand, anyone? Not a lot of Ezekiel fans out there, very few. 
Some of you are Bible nerds, though. I know you are. And for some of you, it may call to mind another Bible passage, maybe the description of the New Jerusalem from the book of Revelation. That's because John of Patmos, who wrote Revelation, was a plagiarist. John's vision, John's vision that describes the future in which God makes God's home with us, in which every tear is wiped away and mourning and crying are no more, and there is a river where the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. John stole that from Ezekiel, borrowed it, borrowed it. That's a more generous term. But this is the original version. This is the OG version. It's Ezekiel's vision of the temple in Jerusalem. But this is not the temple as it ever existed. This temple exists in Ezekiel's imagination. How many of you have ever been to Jerusalem? Raise your hand. A good number of you. If... um, If there is one word that you don't associate with Jerusalem, it is wet, (laughs) right? And yet, and yet in Ezekiel's vision, there's all of this water. It's spilling out everywhere, cascading down the steps of the temple. Water's pouring out the temple gates. It's up to the ankles, then to the knees, and then to the waist. And then it's a torrent of water pouring out of the temple. And there's not just water, right? Where there is water, there is life. There's life. Wherever the river goes, Ezekiel says, every living creature that swarms will live. There'll be so many fish. The water will be fresh. Everything will live where the river goes. Both sides of the river, trees for food of all different kinds. Their leaves will never wither. Their fruit will never fail. Every month they bear fresh fruit for us to eat because the water flows from the sanctuary. The food will be for eating and their leaves are for our healing. There's another passage that this text should call to mind beyond the New Jerusalem in Revelation. That text is what? Genesis. Genesis. This is a new creation happening. This sounds exactly like the rivers that watered the garden in Eden. The waters that flow for us, giving all of us life. It sounds like God's creation is being restored to its original goodness. Even the Dead Sea, Ezekiel says, will be brought to life. Human beings and plants and animals and soil are all recreated and it's all made for the healing and the feeding and the mutual blessing of the creation. But all of it happens in Ezekiel's imagination. Because when Ezekiel wrote this, the real temple was a ruin, destroyed, raised to the ground. Ezekiel was a prophet of the exile. Between 597 and 586 BCE, The Babylonian armies come and they ravage Jerusalem. 
They desecrated and destroyed the temple, the place where people kept the tablets of God's covenant promise. The Babylonians took the city's leaders into captivity. And Ezekiel, a priest himself, was taken into Babylon. That's where he writes, he was a prisoner of war. I don't know how many of you have family experiences that touch on this, but I've shared with you at least once before that my grandfather, my mom's dad, was a prisoner of war in World War II. And about all that I know of his experience and the impact it had on him is that he always kept these two photographs on his wall. One photograph was a picture of him not long after he enlisted, and he is bright and full of life, and there is a glint in his eye. He's a young man, and just a few years later, he kept a picture of himself, his ID document as a prisoner of war. He's lost his hair. His expression is sallow, and there is no light in his eyes. I tell you this because we toss around this word exile. But the truth of the word is like a gut punch. It's a visceral kind of violence to the human person. This is a world-shattering kind of suffering. Ezekiel watched people being killed, perhaps watched the destruction of homes and even the home of his God. The whole framework of meaning in his life was upended, turned upside down. The world came undone before his eyes. And God, who was supposed to love and care for the people, where was God? Did God let this happen to us? Why? Did God leave? Was God dead? Did God abandon us to our enemies? Everything is in ruin. This happened to Ezekiel a long time ago. But human beings are still enduring this kind of suffering even on this very day. What do you do? What do you say? What do you write when everything falls apart? It's no easy task. The 20th century philosopher Theodore Adorno famously said that writing poetry after the Holocaust is barbaric. What he meant, I think, is that when we have seen with our own eyes our human capacity for evil. You can't just go back to writing a few lines of civilized verse. Beauty gets reduced to ashes. All of our arts, our culture, wither in the heat of our violence. Anything you say after you bear witness to that must speak truth to those who are suffering. Otherwise, you have to be silent. That's the world in which Ezekiel is looking for speech. Now, Ezekiel's hard to read, I'm not going to lie. 
His book is filled with violent imagery. There's a huge amount of we must have brought this on ourselves language, and you know how much I struggle with the idea that God would punish us like that for our sin. But what I do admire about Ezekiel is how in this place of despair and suffering, he lets loose with the wildness of his imagination. Ezekiel has one of the most extraordinary imaginations in the whole of Scripture. The first thing he seems to do in exile is become a kind of performance artist. He eats a scroll as he is called to prophecy. He lies down on his side for 390 days. He eats food cooked over human waste. He's trying to make the invisible suffering of his people visible in his own body. And he sees visions, a vision of a creature with four different animal faces guiding God's chariot ascending up, a wheel within a wheel. I have no idea what that means. Dark prophecies of judgment. But the wildest image of all in Ezekiel comes when the judgment is finally over, and Ezekiel tries to imagine what's coming next. Jason, will you put back up the other image? What in the world happens, Ezekiel wonders, after the desolation? Chapter 37 may be the only part of Ezekiel you may know. Ezekiel sees himself being guided through a valley, and that valley is full of bones, human bones. He says, God led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. God said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Only you know. And then God said to me, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I shall lay sinews on you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel begins to speak to the bones and they are put back together. The bodies of God's people are remembered Come from the four winds, O breath, Ezekiel says. Breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as God commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Do you see what's happening? The wind hovering, moving over the chaos, the breath of life put back into bodies so they become living beings. What's Ezekiel drawing on? The creation. It's a new creation before his eyes. Do you see the remarkable gift that Ezekiel gives to us? The world is completely undone by violence and by evil. He's seen the worst things that human beings do to each other. It's a time when it's almost impossible to write, impossible to know what to say, impossible to know where to find God. Where do we find hope? 
Ezekiel goes deep into his imagination. And there, Ezekiel finds a treasure. He remembers the original goodness of the creation. Deep in his bones, deep in his spirit, he knows there's this place that no evil can touch it. Nothing can harm this image. He sees human beings filled again with the breath of life. Sees us surrounded by gardens and fruit trees and animals, all fed by these abundant waters of life. Ezekiel's answer to our suffering, to our hopelessness, is the rebirth of creation itself. Jason, can you put back up the green image? Have you ever heard of rewilding? Raise your hand if you have. A few of you out there. A few years ago, I came upon this term when I was reading an article about a river in the Netherlands. And the the very sound of the word captured my imagination. Rewilding. What on earth? Could that be? There in the southern Netherlands, biologists and engineers were working on a river. They were rewilding a river. Rivers, it turns out, are some of the most highly engineered spaces in God's creation. We human beings have worked to control our rivers. We channel them into these specific passages and we build up all around them and sometimes over them entirely and we pollute them. We pour our waste into them, but truly a natural river is unchanneled. A natural river weaves its way gently through a landscape. It bends and arcs its way through the land, and it's surrounded on all sides by floodplains. Along this 50-mile stretch of this particular river in the Netherlands, they've cleared out all human development. No farms, no buildings, no homes, just green. Guess what happens when the river is allowed to run and the spaces are cleared around it? Life comes back. Sometimes in the process of rewilding, human beings reintroduce species to places where those animals haven't existed in hundreds of years, beaver and otter and sturgeon in the water, the increase in biodiversity up and down the food chain of rewilded places is spectacular. One of the places on this earth where rewilding has been the most profound is a place called Chernobyl. Many of you know that word, that place. In 1986, it was the site of the worst nuclear disaster in human history, and 100,000 people were evacuated from a huge patch of earth around the plant. In those subsequent 30-plus years, that land, which has been off-limits for three decades to human beings has become 
an oasis. Lynx and bison and deer roam through thick forests, rewilding has taken hold of parts of Europe. People are seeing in this moment we live in of profound environmental crisis that we're the ones who are screwing things up. But nature knows what we don't. People are giving the land back to nature. It's happening here in the United States too. Dams being removed from rivers in the Pacific Northwest. Wolves reintroduced in Yellowstone Park. So many modest projects, even humble in scale. I spent 30 minutes watching YouTube videos of a man rewilding his Houston home, pulling out grass patch by patch, asking, what does the earth want for this patch of land? Every time I drive down DeKalb Industrial Boulevard, I think, does anyone know there's a creek that runs here? Like, what if we could pull out all of the concrete? What if we could pull away all of the structures? No offense to the Waffle House. I'm sure people love that. But what if we could pull it all out? What if the stream were allowed to flow and we were allowed to bend down and touch its waters? What would we learn? Over these last few weeks, I've taken you on a trip from Joshua through the creation stories in Genesis to the Noah story and now to Ezekiel. In all of these stories, there is a common thread, I think, the movement toward goodness in all of these texts is an affirmation of our basic connection to land and to creatures. There's a pattern that keeps repeating itself in the sacred word when we harm each other, which we do, when we harm each other, when we break faith with each other, when we cause suffering to each other, when we give up on each other, the healing comes and it almost always seems to come when we reaffirm that we are fundamentally connected, fundamentally connected to the land and its creatures. Rewilding, it's not just an ecological movement, is it? It's the name of a basic, holy impulse, deeply rooted in the scripture. In times of great social upheaval, rewilding is where we find our hope. Everything Ezekiel promises. Everything will live where the river goes. On both sides of the river, there will be all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit ever fail. The fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for our healing. Let the church say,
Amen. Thank you. 